hello and welcome to episode 137 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and here we are. I am recording this on February 8th, 2024, which marks exactly one month until the NHL trade deadline, which I know, trust me, I know is a very hot topic among the fan base right now and a very hot topic around the league. I actually spent a lot of time on Wednesday sort of finalizing some phone calls and doing a lot of writing. I think I wrote over 2,000 words on everything that I'm hearing about the upcoming trade deadline, what the market looks like and what's shaping up to very much look like a seller's market right now, and also identified, I think, where the Rangers are poking around and five teams in particular that I'm keeping my eye on as we inch toward the deadline. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out at loha.com slash sports slash Rangers, please do because I tried to pack as much information as possible into that. And I know we're going to spend ample time talking about a lot of the deadline stuff on this week's episode, including with our guest, who is Patrick Present, covers the Anaheim Ducks for the Hockey News. And the Ducks are one of the teams that I mentioned in that story that I believe the Rangers have had some conversations with. And I know that the Ducks are a team that a lot of people around the league are keeping an eye on because there's certainly some dominoes potentially to fall there. And there's certainly some names that I think are in play. And it's a pretty competitive environment for the Ducks. So they're in a pretty advantageous position right now with some assets that I think teams around the league are interested in. So Patrick is going to give us the lowdown on what's going on in Anaheim. We'll talk some trade scenarios with him in just a little bit. But let's start with what should be the primary topic, and at least I know is the primary topic within the walls of Rangers locker room right now. And that is a couple of big wins coming out of this All-Star break. Remember, it was a lot of doom and gloom heading into that All-Star break, even though the Rangers finished off with that win in Ottawa, a a much-needed win because I think the narrative surrounding the team, had they lost that final game before the break, would have really kind of hit a low point for the season. But there were still a lot of concerns, and we dissected them, whether it was writing about them in recent weeks. I know we talked about a lot of this stuff at length, on the podcast last week, especially some of the goaltending stuff, which I want to address on this week's episode. And coming out of this break, it was really, really important for the Rangers to take a step toward quieting some of those concerns and take a step toward maybe showing that they're not as bad as maybe the results looked during that slump, which was really about a two-month slump, but especially in January when they only won five out of 14 games. And what do they do? They come out and they pick up two of their biggest wins of the season, I think, in a lot of respects. When you consider the state where the team was, when we talk about a lot of the recent inconsistencies, and when you consider the opponents, the Rangers on Monday and Wednesday were playing two of the previous three Stanley Cup winners in the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And while it wasn't always the cleanest or the prettiest, especially that Monday game against Colorado, I think you could definitely argue that the Rangers got outplayed for the majority of that game. But first and foremost, they get a completely vintage performance from Jonathan Quick 
in that one who made 32 saves, was outstanding in the face of constant pressure, especially in the first period when the avalanches seemed to come in one wave after another. So quick, completely the player of the game, in some respects probably stole that win for the Rangers, but give them credit for their persistence. I like this analogy that Peter Laviolette used after the game, and he equated the avalanche who are certainly one of the fastest, one of the most dynamic, one of the most highly skilled teams in the NHL. This is a team that is absolutely a Stanley Cup contender and only two years removed from their last championship. So a heavyweight opponent, no doubt. And and I do believe, especially with what we saw in the early going of that game, that the issues that we've talked about with the Rangers and team speed, that matchups against teams like the Avalanche, against teams like the Devils, some of the faster teams in the league are still concerning. Those are still probably some of the tougher matchups for the Rangers, just because I don't think up and down their lineup, they have the foot speed to hang with those kind of teams. And it looked like it was going to be a long night early on. But the analogy that LaViolette used was equating it to baseball. And in your first at bat against a pitcher who throws 100 miles an hour, you might be blown out of your shoes. You might be struggling to make contact. You might struggle to catch up to that speed in your first at bat or two. But as the game goes on and you start to see those pitches a few times, you're able to adjust. You're able to start to catch up to it. And it seemed like that's what happened with the Rangers. They got a little bit better in each period. The third period of that game was their best. They were able to keep it to a one nothing deficit because of how well Quick was playing. And then they come at them in a very strong third period. They get the tying goal from Artemi Panarin, and they go on to win it with the overtime winner from Alexi Lafreniere. So a, a huge feel-good win for the Rangers. Again, a game that you could argue they got outplayed in, but between Quick and between their resilience to eventually find ways to slow Colorado down, eventually find ways to counter that speed and make a push of their own, huge win in that regard. And then you move on to Wednesday, where they have the Tampa Bay Lightning coming into town. And we know they've had some battles with the Lightning over the years, especially when you think back to that Eastern Conference final in 2022. And this game, to me, was really something to build on for the Rangers because of how well they played defensively throughout the struggles that they had. And we know that there are a lot of different reasons for that. We've talked about the goaltending. We've talked about the lack of five-on-five scoring outside of that Panarin line. We've talked about the power play slumping a bit recently. So those are all factors. But what all of the players maintained throughout that rough patch is that For them to get back on track, it had to start with playing better defense. And the defense that we saw the Rangers play against a really high-quality opponent on Wednesday, I thought was very impressive. Early on in that game, it looked like it might not go their way. Early on in that game, they gave up some of the best chances, I think, that the Lightning had the whole game. They held the Lightning for the entire 60 minutes to 20 shots on goal, which is a really impressive number. Five of those shots came in basically the first five minutes. So for the remaining 55 minutes of that game, they only allowed 15 shots on goal. They really tightened up. They played an excellent, disciplined, structured second period where that really made the difference in the game because they only allowed four shots on goals in in that middle 20 minutes. And they scored two goals, one from Jimmy Vesey, one from Johnny Brodzinski to give themselves 
a fairly comfortable lead considering how that game was going. It was a low event game. In some respects, you could call it a boring game. There was a lot of this back and forth in the neutral zone. I think both teams were struggling at times to clear the puck effectively and get set up in the offensive zone. But the Rangers made sure that they had the upper hand in that situation. I thought they did a really good job of smothering the Lightning. If you look at that game, there were very few extended, really long offensive zone possessions that stood out, at least in my memory, that we saw the Lightning have. And you look at some of the analytics as far as the high-danger scoring chances or the mid-danger scoring chances that the Rangers allowed. I know Valley tweeted this out this morning. Combined high and mid-danger, the Rangers only allowed seven of those the entire game. So a low event game, but that I think worked out well for the Rangers in this regard. That was them getting back to the defensive principles that they felt like slipped during these last couple months when it's no coincidence the results for the team also slipped. So big, big defensive effort for them in that regard. Now the question is, can they maintain it? But several players talked about when they came back from the All-Star break, they did a lot of video work. They really honed in on where they felt like they were having some of that slippage defensively, especially when it comes to defending against the rush and making sure that they have the proper amount of bodies back to defend the rush because it's inevitable that the other team is going to create some turnovers. You are not going to enter the zone cleanly with the puck every single time. That's just an impossibility. But when you do make those mistakes, when the puck does change hands on the fly like that, how do you defend it? How do you get back? How do you make sure that you're not hanging your goaltender out to dry and leading to too many of those high danger scoring chances against? And what the Rangers, I think, did a pretty good job of, there was a few. Nikita Kucherov is is one of the best players in the league, and he certainly had his moments in that game on Wednesday. I think he hit two posts. But... For the most part, I thought the Rangers limited the rush chances against. When the Lightning were attacking in those transition situations, the Rangers did a pretty solid job of getting back and defending really hard in those situations. And again, the biggest thing for me was that the Lightning just didn't have a whole lot of possession. There weren't a whole lot of times where they got set up in the offensive zone and were able to go to work and wear the Rangers down that way. The Rangers did a really good job, I thought, of making sure that the defense was tight in that game. Again, only 20 shots allowed on goal. Jonathan Quick did not have to work very hard in this game, only had to make 19 saves for the Rangers to come away with the win. And that's exactly what they do. And I'd also like to mention, because I think that besides the defense, and this guy was obviously a key contributor in that area as well, Jimmy Vesey, we have to do a little stick tap for him here because this is a guy that throughout what has been, I think, a somewhat difficult period for the bottom six when you consider the injuries, especially the loss of Philip Heedle, and when you consider just a general lack of offensive production from that bottom six that I think has come under fire, and I do believe that the Rangers are looking to upgrade at the trade deadline, Vesey has been the bright spot. I mean, there's a couple of them. Obviously, Will Cooley belongs in that conversation as well. But VC is now up to 11 goals this season. He scored two of the three that the Rangers got against the Lightning on Wednesday night. And the all-around impact of this player, I think, should not be overlooked. I think it's easy for him to kind of fly under the radar because he plays in the fourth line. But when you factor in the penalty killing, when you factor in, we talk about not making costly mistakes. VC to me, is 
probably the guy in this team who makes the fewest mistakes, who always makes the right decisions when it comes to line changes, who almost always makes the right decision with the puck, who almost always is in the right position defensively. He's such a headsy player that I think that is maybe not the most, the easiest thing I should say to quantify with stats or things like that, although his metrics are generally pretty good. But it's one of those things that when you watch him night in and night out, you just notice that, that this guy is just always putting himself in a good position to succeed. And then on top of that, you factor in the skill that we do see pop more than every once in a while. It's a, it's a fairly decent amount at this point. This is a guy that has 11 goals, is on pace to maybe have 15, 16, 17 goals this season and has been a productive offensive player we know in college for sure when he won the Hobie Baker Award at Harvard and even in the early going of his career with the Rangers, he's transformed himself. He's become a guy who fits very well in that checking line role where the Rangers have been using him. But we also know that he's opportunistic when those offensive opportunities do come. You saw that that really pretty sweet backhand that he finished with to get the Rangers on the board in the second period, attacking off the rush. And he talked about he had watched video of how the Lightning defend against the rush. And he knew that they like to slide their coverage to the other side, which meant that he knew that defenseman, I believe it was Eric Chernak who was back, was going to try to cut off the passing lane for VC to go for that cross ice speed to, I forget which player it was, but there was someone coming down on the opposite wing. So in that moment, VC said, I had watched the video, I had to trust my gut, and he ends up making the decision to shoot, and it becomes a huge goal for the Rangers. So just, again, one of the smartest players on the ice on a consistent basis and an incredibly valuable player for the Rangers, especially when you consider that they're only paying him $800,000. So that line as a whole, I thought had a really big bounce back performance because they got torched against Colorado, especially by that Nathan McKinnon line where early in that game, you saw Laviolette throwing them out there against the Avalanche's top line. But then Laviolette talked about adjusting because clearly that line was struggling to keep up against them. I found it interesting that despite that line basically being moved off the top line assignment on Monday, that Laviolette threw them right back into the fire against that top line for Tampa that has Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov and Nick Paul. And they more than held their own. I, I believe when I looked at the natural stat trick, that Goudreau VC Pitlick line was only on ice for two shots against, didn't allow any goals, and then they obviously contribute a really big goal from VC. So a bounce-back performance from that night. And, I, and LaViolette, I asked him about it after the game, and he said, listen, not every unit, whether it's a special teams unit or an individual line or a D pair, is going to be at their best every single night. But this is the role where I value that particular line, and that's why I'm going to keep throwing them out there in those situations. So I thought that that was a kind of a cool statement from the coach, and I know that it certainly meant a lot for VC and those guys to hear it, and it certainly meant a lot for them to get that opportunity again. So that, that line played a really big role in that win over Tampa. But again, the complete team effort, the overall defense that they played was definitely, to me, the biggest takeaway from that one. And now you want to see if it can continue. Last thing I want to touch on here before we get to our interview with Patrick is the goaltending situation, because that's obviously become a pretty big story this week. And what we've seen now, the Rangers have won three games in a row, and the starting goalie in all three of those games has been Jonathan Quick. The Rangers, I think, have been very careful about what they say publicly 
about Igor Shesterkin. We all know that he's struggled. We all know that he hasn't played up to his standards sitting with that 899 save percentage right now. But the Rangers have mostly said it's about us not playing well enough in front of him. They, they've consistently put the blame on the team as opposed to talking about, well, you know, if we would have gotten a key save in this situation, it would have been pretty big. Obviously, they're very protective of Igor and for good reason because of all the times that he's bailed them out in the last few years. But by making the decision to not only play quick on Monday night against Colorado, which I thought in some ways made sense because A, Igor had just come back from traveling to Toronto for the All-Star game. He had been on the ice Friday and Saturday. So quick, you would think, was the more well-rested guy going into that Monday game. But also it made sense to give Igor a few extra practice days and get him ready. I did think we would see him Wednesday against Tampa because he had that little bit of extra time to rest. And if you look at his career statistics, he has the best save percentage against any opponent against the Lightning. 956 is what I believe it is. He has not lost a game in seven starts in regulation against the Lightning in the regular season. So his numbers were there. Clearly, this is an opponent that he's had a lot of success against. And it seemed like the spot that the Rangers would throw him back in there. But they decide to ride the hot hand with Quick. And to me, that was the the most, without actually saying it, that they've acknowledged that Igor is struggling right now and that they have more confidence in Quick at the moment. And I find it to be kind of an interesting debate, and I honestly don't know where I lie on it. I think I can make an argument in my own head both ways, but it's this hot hand argument where clearly Quick is the guy that if you are focused on an individual game and who gives you the best chance to win that night, it's hard to dispute that it isn't quick right now. He's up to 12-4-2 this season. His save percentage is up to 9-19. I mean, this is a renaissance season for him. I know I've written about it and I know we've talked about it before, but this guy deserves so much credit for the way that he's been able to really reignite his career when a lot of people felt like he was on the way out after he left L.A. and the way that he came to the Rangers just to play what was expected to be a very limited backup role this season behind Shesterkin. But this is a guy who you have a ton of confidence in. And again, that Monday game against Colorado, I do not believe the Rangers win that game without quick. He was their best player in that game. And he has been a guy who has stolen some wins for them this season. He is in the midst of a complete renaissance vintage season and that's a really really cool story so he has earned more ice time there's no doubt about that but on the other hand if you're looking this from a big picture perspective we also know that the likelihood of quick being a guy that they are going to use in the playoffs is very slim and for them to maximize the potential of this team for the rangers to be at their very best The top level that we've seen them in these last few years has always been when Igor is on top of his game. He is by far the biggest potential X factor for them in any playoff series. And with that in mind, getting him right, getting him back on track, rediscovering that Igor magic has to be one of, if not the top priority for the Rangers in these final 30 plus games that they have to go in the regular season. Now, 30 games is a lot of time. We're not at this desperate point quite yet, but at some point you got to throw him back into the fire and you have to see how he reacts. Interestingly, on Sunday, which was the Rangers' first practice back from the break, 
I went over to Igor and I sat with him in his locker and I chatted with him a bit just to get a feel for where his head is at. Because visibly to me, whether it's games, practice, locker room, I've told you guys before, he has come across as being very down on himself, very frustrated. And I think that that is sometimes makes him his own worst enemy. That can very much snowball against him. A lot of times I think this is more mental with him than it is technical. And what I found when I sat and chatted with him on Sunday is that he was in a much better mood than I've seen him really at any point since training camp. Joking a little bit. Now, definitely being hard on himself and definitely saying, I need to be better. If you go and read that story, you'll see some pretty pointed quotes from him about not being happy with how he's played. But he also stressed that he needs to get back to having fun. He needs to get back to a point where he's enjoying himself, enjoying the game, not letting the little things stick in his mind and linger and and kind of carry over from one game to the next. And so from that perspective, maybe this little refresh, reset, whatever you want to call it, that the Rangers are doing for him is good. And I've seen him in practice. I've seen him at the morning skates. He's staying on late. He's doing some extra work with Benoit Allaire. So the Rangers clearly want to give him some time to maybe get back to the basics rediscover his love of the game in some respects and then see how he reacts from there. So in some ways you could look at it and say, well, it's a little bit of a slap in the face to him. It could shake his confidence that they have basically now publicly signaled that quick is the guy who they have more confidence in at the moment. But then again, on the other hand, I think what they're obviously hoping for is that this little break, this little breather, this little time to not stress about what's happening in the games and just go about his business, do his work with Allaire and and get himself back to a place mentally and physically where he feels really good about where he's at. I mean, we'll see if that strategy pays off. That's obviously what the Rangers believe is the right thing right now. And we'll see when he gets back in the net. It could be as soon as Friday night in Chicago. That would not surprise me. Or they could give him a couple extra days, get through the weekend, and then look to get him back in the net. I'm sure at the latest by early next week. So we'll see what happens. But ultimately, I don't look at this as a goalie controversy, even though, again, you could certainly make the argument. I don't even think there's much of an argument there that Quick has been the better goalie and right now gives them the better chance to win. But I think everybody in the organization, and I think most fans realize this as well, that the key to the Rangers' long-term success, obviously this season, but even beyond that, is having Igor be the Igor that won the Vesna, or at least as close to it as possible. Having him be one of the better goaltenders in the league. Actually, Quick the other night called him the best goalie in the world. So Quick, I think, is taking a very supportive role in this as well. So that has to be the priority, and, and I do still believe that that's the priority. I don't think you're going to see for the rest of the season quick at the majority of the starts. That would be a shocker, but right now, you know, the Rangers are riding the hot hand while also simultaneously trying to work behind the scenes to get Igor right. So we'll see if it pays off. All right. With all of that being said, I got to run to practice right now. When I get back, we're going to do our interview with Patrick Present to talk about the Rangers and the Ducks and some of the trade possibilities. And of course, after that, I will answer some of your Twitter questions where I'm sure we'll get into even more of this trade deadline stuff. So I'll be back in just a little bit. (laughs) 
Now let's welcome into the show one of the guests who is going to help us gear up for trade deadline season now that we are a month away and things are heating up. I know the conversation certainly among the fan base is heating up and one of the teams that Rangers fans are keeping a close eye on is the Anaheim Ducks. So with that in mind, I asked Patrick Present, who covers the Ducks for the hockey news to come on the show this week. So Patrick, first of all, thank you for joining us. I'm sure you're... uh, hearing a lot of this trade buzz and wondering what's going to happen next, just like we are. Oh yeah. And thanks for having me on Vince. Um, there's been a lot of speculation out in the, in the winds here. Um, Pat Verbeek likes to keep things very tight lipped as uh, Chris Jury does, I'm sure. So it's all just speculation, but the ducks have a number of pieces that, you know, could be on their way out pretty soon here in the next month. I mean, I guess just from a general standpoint, given where they are, Obviously, does not look like this is going to be a playoff team this season. They've been in this, I don't know if you want to call it a rebuild or just not being very good mode for for a number of years now. Do you think that it's highly likely they're going to try to sell off pieces, especially expiring contracts, to add future assets, whether that means prospect or draft picks? Like, Do you think that they're firmly going to be in the seller category, or are they close enough to where they think they could compete soon that maybe they might want to hold on to some of these guys. I think they're firmly in the seller category, but if a offer comes across uh, a desk for a guy, you know, pushing toward their prime or, or exiting their prime, I think there's a possibility that a player like that could be had. Um, I'm There's a, a sense in the community here that the team the fan base doesn't uh, necessarily want to keep just stockpiling draft picks. They want more NHL ready uh, prospects or minor leaguers or whatnot that could make a more immediate impact. But as far as sellers and buyers, they're definitely sellers on this year. Well, so the name I want to start with is Adam Henrique because what's happened around the league in the last couple of weeks is we've seen a couple centers go Elias Lindholm going from Calgary to Vancouver and then Sean Monahan from Montreal going to Winnipeg. And what just in talking to people around the league and, and and sniffing around with what the Rangers are thinking, it's become clear to me that everybody feels like the price tags are really high right now. Like this is definitely being classified as a seller's market. You're seeing first round picks and then some. And I think in Lindholm's case, the expectation was that it certainly was going to cost a first round pick. But then you saw, you know, whether it was a proven NHL player like Kuzmenko or number of prospects going in that deal as well. And then with Monaghan, you've got a guy that probably on a contending team projects as more of a third line center who's also garnering a first round pick. So I think the Ducks are in a pretty advantageous position if they do decide to trade Henrique, which it sounds like they will, because he is kind of viewed as the next domino to fall. I think probably the next most likely center to be traded. And among the guys, there's not that many of them right now. The, the pool is pretty shallow. But among the guys who are probably going to be traded, he might be the most coveted available center. And this is a guy who's having a nice season, but 34 years old certainly has some, I guess you could call it um, flaws or weaknesses in his game. I guess tell us a little bit about the player himself and then tell us a little bit about what you think the Ducks might be looking to get for in return for a player like that. Sure. Um, Well, Adam Henrique is a 200-foot player, very detail-oriented. Um. Never out of position, uh, never going to mm, 
make a bad read or be out of, you know, um, lose a guy in coverage, things of that nature. Um, versatile can play either wing center up and down the lineup. Um, he can play in any system, uh, whether it's, you know, a defensive zone coverage, like a man or a box plus one. Um, the foot speed is, could be seen as an issue. Um, he's had the most success when playing with younger uh, players with more juice in their legs, I would say. Um, so, you know, uh, whether it's Troy Terry, Trevor Zegris, Leo Carlson, so on and so forth here, um, he's been able to be productive no matter where he's played. So, um, and then, yeah, as far as the market goes right now, he uh, he seems to, after those two guys you mentioned earlier, Monahan and Lindholm went flying off the board last week. He seems to be the prettiest girl at the bar and with a lot of suitors left. So that should have Pat Verbeek smiling right now. Um, we're just hoping on health. And um, I think, yeah, I, I think there are quite a few suitors that could um, use his services. There, there are a few things that you said that I think appeal to the Rangers. I think they really value, as many NHL teams do, two-way centers. They always talk about the 200-foot game. They always talk about wanting guys who are committed and responsible defensively, and Henrique obviously has that reputation. And I think he's at 33 points or around there through close to 50 games this season, so he's also mm -hmm. been fairly productive offensively. He had a couple goals in the game against the Rangers when they were in Anaheim, so I'm sure that caught their attention a little bit. The foot speed thing... Definitely, I think, would cause some hesitation because I know that one of the areas the Rangers want to improve in is they want to increase their team speed. They've been exposed, I think, at times against some of the faster teams or the better skating teams in the league. So that might be a little bit of a drawback, but there aren't a whole lot of great options. I mean, your analogy of the prettiest girl at the bar right now is probably true. A lot of people do feel like this is what everybody's waiting to see happens. And that puts the ducks in the driver's seat in, in many regards, because, you know, I think the Rangers would be comfortable, let's say offering a second round pick for a guy like that. But it sounds like the ducks have every right at this point to ask for a first round pick and wait and see if somebody caves to that demand. But it also sounds like you might think that, a prospect would be more appealing to them. I mean, and if so, like, are there areas within the pipeline, like positionally where they could use more than the other forward defense goalie? Uh, well, prospect wise on the left side of the blue line, the ducks are pretty stacked, whether it's Minchikov, Zellweger, we've seen at uh, Lacombe, a lot of young players uh, making their NHL debuts in the recent uh, past here. Um, as far as what they need in their pipeline, it's not a whole lot to be honest with you, but um, a complimentary goal scoring winger. They just got Karagoche, but, um, uh, you know, someone who can, you can slot in alongside a, a Leo Carlson, uh, Trevor Zegers, Mason McTavish for the next handful of years. Um, and yeah, um, as far as picks versus prospects, it doesn't seem like GMs are too keen on the latter half of this year's draft. Um, it sounds like for my, a little bit of research that I did. The Rangers are hoping to hold on to that 24 first round pick. Um, but as far as Henrik's price, um, you know, I think the, the Monaghan deal is a, is a pretty comparable one. Lindholm got a lot because he's, you know, selkie candidate year after year and a uh, 40 goal scorer a couple years ago. So, I mean, a first round pick is probably the, the ask and then 
the the settle would be, I guess, a second and a and a prospect. It's interesting because I think if the Rangers have some young players that they might be willing to part with at this time, it would probably be a couple left-handed defensemen who are blocked right now from getting into their lineup. A guy like Zach Jones, for example, who, you know, if the ducks needed somebody that could play on a power play and bring some skill and puck moving skills, he would fit that mold, but you just said they're, they're stacked on the left side. So it does not sound like that would be an appealing thing for them. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting that you say Henriquez thrive playing with younger players because I do think the spot where the Rangers might envision him could be on that third line where he would probably, you know, depending on who's around at that point, play with Will Cooley and Capo Caco, two of their youngest forwards on the roster. And maybe that would sound like a, a pretty good spot for him. Yeah, I think Henrique does a lot of the things that a lot of younger players are either hesitant or just aren't seasoned in aspects of the game, you know, the small area um, uh, windows or, you know, when when there's not a lot of time and space on the ice, he makes the correct play every time he gets into the dirty areas. A lot of like if you look at his uh, like a heat map of his goals, they're all in around the net uh, net front area. You know, he gets uh, sticks on pucks on shots from the point and finds rebounds and things of that nature. So. He's kind of like a player who is a like a nice Robin for a for a potential Batman, I'd say. Another guy, as far as just the expiring contracts, Jacob Silverberg. Where do you think they'd stand on, on potentially trading him? Because Henrique's a name you're hearing a lot, but but Silverberg is a player who I think could probably be appealing to to some playoff teams. But I haven't heard his name quite as much. So, do you think there's a lesser chance of him being traded or, or where do you stand on that? I don't know. I haven't, I think, I don't know where the market is on on him. I know he has a pretty significant cap hit. It's in the five, five, two range, I think. Um, but he has had a couple of down years offensively. The last couple, uh, he's been through quite a few surgeries, uh, hit most notably, so his goal scoring isn't what it used to be, but he's bringing a lot, a lot more things this year than he has in the past. In the past, he's just kind of been a, a purely defensive forward, you know, matched up against the opposing top uh, line night after night. This year, he's kind of given a little more opportunity to play in the offensive zone, and he's kind of impressed a little bit with his playmaking ability. Um, if I, I mean. He's he's been a nice again complimentary piece for a younger center like Isaac Lundestrom, but I think if an offer comes along, I I don't see Pat Rubik not taking a deal like that. I just think the cap hit is a little bit prohibitive in the in the flat cap era we have here. Yeah, I mean, well, and Henrique is sitting there at five point eight, but I think you know a deal with the Rangers probably a deal with many teams. The ask would be for the Ducks to retain some of that salary coming back, but I don't imagine that that would be prohibitive. That that seems like a pretty common thing at the trade deadline for a lot of teams. I mean, do you think that that would be a stumbling block or no? No, I, the Ducks have all three of their retention slots available and they have all the cap space in the world. So I think if if it it's not going to be a make or break if they have to eat half the salary for half a year. All right. The other guy that I know that Rangers fans want me to ask about is Frank Vetrano. We have experience with him here in New York. He really, I don't know if thrived, if I would go that far, but but played 
very well in a role where the Rangers have had a tough time filling it, that top line right wing spot on the line with Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad. He's probably been the best guy that they've plugged in there since they traded Pavel Buchnevich to the St. Louis Blues in 2021. So there's definitely some appeal to bringing Vetrano back. I believe the Rangers have some interest in that. Now, the interesting thing with him is, A, he has been one of the Ducks' best players this season, was their only all-star, I think is up to 22 goals already. So looks like he's well on his way to establishing a new career high in goals. We know he can score. We know he brings some speed. We know he brings some tenacity and plays with a little bit of an edge. But he's also under contract for next season as well at a cap hit of $3.65 million. So a manageable cap hit, a cap hit I think the Rangers could absorb probably without even needing to ask Anaheim to retain any of that salary. The question is, how willing would the Ducks be to part with him? Or do they see him as a critical piece that they want to hold on to for next season? Like, where do you think they stand on him? Um, I think because of the extra year, I just think it's, and with how well he started the year, um, I I would say that it's it would have to be a significant price tag to to yank him out of here, just because you know he's he's been one of the only players to score goals for the team this year. Um, he's one of those like instant offense can just like get a shot off at any angle kind of guys. He does bring the tenacity that you mentioned, and in a in a scenario where the Ducks are in where they're trying to establish a culture, I think Frank Vitrano is very much a culture guy. Um, you mentioned, you know, he's, um, you know, he's going to face wash you in front of the net and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, forecheck, you know, uh, with, with his hair on fire and the, um, the, the 20 goals a year isn't, uh, anything to sneeze at, but this definitely this year, um, I would say now looking at where the ducks are and where the ducks are going, it would probably have to be a significant ask to get him out of Anaheim. Yeah, and and the question is, what is the ask? It sounds like if they felt like they were coming away with a really prime uh, asset out of that, that they would consider it, but it's not the kind of thing where they feel like they need to do it right now. That's the thing is that, you know, if it's, if the ask is, or if the offer is on the table for just like a second round pick, I think... Or I, you know, um, I if I if it were me, I would say I would hold on to Vetrano and trade him at next year's deadline. It's one of those things where that there's not the there's not the the hard stop that you know a Henrik or Silverberg have when it comes to you know moving on from them. Now, you mentioned the Ducks. If they could use anything, it would be a scoring winger. And the name who's been floated out there in rumors, and I do believe that this is more opposing GMs asking and trying to see if they can maybe buy low as opposed to the Rangers actively shopping this player, but a name who has come up and, and, you know, one source said this to me the other day that if there was a place where it felt like it would fit, if the Rangers could do a two for one, if they could possibly package Henrique and Vetrano, which would fill their two biggest needs, needing a third line center, needing a top line right winger, People are wondering if the Rangers would consider Capo Caco in a deal like that, who we know was the number two overall pick a few years ago. There's been some disappointment with him. Like the offensive production has not been there. We could bang the drum about him improving defensively and his metrics all looking much better over the years and things like that. But the reality is he's not scoring at the pace that anybody hoped for. So there's a little bit of disenchantment there, but there's also, I think, 
probably a reluctance to to sell low. Now, in a type of deal where you're talking like that, I, I do wonder if that's the kind of player who maybe you feel like, you know, still 22 years old, has some upside, has some years of team control, obviously was drafted because he has some skill in the tank. Like, is is that the kind of guy who moves the needle for you and and would make you think the Ducks consider whether it's Vetrano, Henrique, or both? Uh, yeah, that would be... Um... That would be an int- very intriguing piece uh, coming back in a in a Vetrano Henrique um, swap for sure. Um, they definitely need a player like uh, like a Capo Caco, I'd say, who maybe I don't I don't like the change of scenery narrative, but maybe a change of scenery um, uh, uh, hi- opportunity higher in the lineup, perhaps. Um, but yeah, and, and I understand the hesitance to sell low. It's as much as. Um, it, selling Vetrano would be selling high, right? So, in theory, like the, that's offset to where they kind of get their their values if you're gonna if you're gonna make a swap like that. But that's definitely an intriguing piece in a in a potential trade with New York. The the thing that I wonder about is it's one thing to wrap your mind around trading Kako, which I still believe is is probably the type of deal that's more likely to happen in a summer off-season setting that it is on the fly yeah. at, the, at the trade deadline. But even if you wrap your head around doing that, I, I don't think the Rangers certainly would do it for one of either Henrique or Vetrano. But if you can get both of them, you know maybe that's something they consider because they look at their windows open right now and, and that would plug their two biggest holes. But would would Kako alone be enough in a deal like that is what I wonder, or would the Ducks also be asking for even more, in which case I think it would be harder to stomach, not only for Chris Drury, but definitely for Rangers fans as well. So, you know, I don't know where you stand on the value of it. I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but that's kind of what I wonder is, you know, would would it seem at face value like Kako for those two would be enough, or would they also be coming in and asking for, you know, another relatively highly thought of prospect or, or a, a good draft pick, things of that nature. I, I don't know how you feel about that or how you feel like Ducks fans would feel about that. Uh, just from gauging interest, again, the, the fan base has kind of really attached themselves to Vetrano, so I don't know how easy of a sell that would be. If you're looking at selling Henrik and Vetrano individually, obviously with what we've seen with Monaghan and Lindholm, um, I would hope the... Um, the ask would be a first round pick for Henrique. And then again, with Vetrano and the ability to retain, um, you're looking at two playoff runs with a Frank Vetrano. Again, the hope and the hope would be a first round pick. If you're going to trade him this deadline, you know, the, the selling high and, and the, the two playoff runs. So, um, I don't know if Kaka would be enough to, for that. And if, if the ducks could, Ducks would probably be able to get more on the open market if you were to trade the two of them individually, unfortunately. Yeah, someone said, some, someone said to me the other day, they think that to get both of those guys in the same deal, it might even take more than Kako, which is is saying a lot. But then on top of that, you, you know, then you wonder, I'm sure the Rangers would not do Kako and a first round pick, but... If, if it was a mid-round pick, would they consider that? It, th- these are interesting questions, obviously, as you touched on at the beginning. This is this is more on the speculation side of things, but, it, but it's obviously fun to talk about at this time of year. 
Of course, it's what it's what gives Ducks fans hope in this, in times like this. You know, it's it's selling the future. So this, these are, and it's also a very important time in the in the trajectory of the franchise as well. So it's very understandable to be speculative and and to kind of dig in deep with these kind of conversations. Is there anybody that we didn't touch on who you think is likely to be traded away from Anaheim? Uh, Ilya Labushkin, uh, right shot defenseman. He's in the final year of his deal. Uh, he was brought in for a fourth round pick this offseason. Um, I think he makes around 275. But he'd be the only guy that has, I'd say, an over 50% chance. But there are other guys on the peripheral yeah, and I don't think the Rangers would be very interested there. I think they're very locked in on the forward market right now, and that's why the Ducks, as we've touched on, there, there's three really interesting pieces there, I think, and and we're all going to kind of wait to see what happens, and I do firmly believe the Rangers are in contact with them. It's just a matter of what are the price tags and are they willing to pay them. So, Patrick, I really do appreciate the time. This was fun, uh, and thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very grateful, and you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the next month plays out here with uh, with all these teams, Rangers, Ducks, and everyone in, uh, in between. And we're back. Thanks to Patrick for taking some time to come on the show. Definitely ended up going down a little bit of a rabbit hole there at the end of that conversation, which is hard not to do once you get the wheels turning and you're trying to figure out exactly what might be in the cards and and what might be a fair deal, what might be acceptable to one side or the other. And, and the Kako thing in particular is very interesting. I've told you guys this last week, and I know I've written it as well, that from what I understand, it sounds much more like the rumor that I believe initially started with a Darren Drager report was that Kako was being, or the Rangers were listening, I should say, to offers on Kako. And I was told that the language there was important, listening versus shopping Kako. And I've repeatedly said, which Patrick seemed to agree with, and I've heard this from other people around the league as well, that typically Deals like that where you're exchanging young, controllable assets, deals of that magnitude historically happen more often in the summer. And to me, that seems like a more logical place for the Rangers to consider something like that. But if there was any deal out there where you could look at what is presumed to be available at this deadline and make at least somewhat of a case that it would certainly improve the Rangers roster this year in that two-for-one kind of a setting. If you could pull both Henrique and Vetrano, I wonder if that would entice the Rangers. I wonder if that would be enough to make them consider dealing Kako. I, I honestly go back and forth in my own head about whether that's worth it. The idea of selling low on a prospect like that, and that wouldn't be super low. That wouldn't be like what the Rangers got in exchange for Vitaly Kratzoff last year when it was like a sixth or seventh round pick wouldn't be anywhere near that. You'd be getting two impact players, two guys that are clearly going to play in the top nine on a playoff team. So for that reason, it's hard to completely dismiss whether or not you would actually consider that deal. I think you would have to at least consider it. I'm not saying take it, but consider it. But what's interesting to me, even beyond that, even if you did wrap your mind around 
trading Kako, which again, I'm not sold is going to happen anytime soon as we approach this deadline. But if they were to get themselves to a point where they decide, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to give up on another young forward uh, on a long list of forwards that have moved on without really becoming impact players in the Rangers lineup. Do you want to go down that road again? But if you do, what somebody said to me the other day is that they don't believe on the Anaheim end. And Patrick seemed to reiterate this as well, that Kako alone would be enough for them to justify trading what are probably their two most valuable assets at this deadline. It would probably take more. And then as I posed to Patrick there in the end of that interview, the question is how much more? I certainly don't think you're going to do Kako and a first round pick. That seems like way too much. Would they do it for a middle round pick? Would the Rangers do that? Would the Ducks find that acceptable? It sounds to me, based on what I'm hearing about the state of this market, and this is what I wrote about a bunch in my most recent story, that the asking prices for all these teams are incredibly high right now. They are smelling blood in the water because what you have is sort of this perfect storm of limited available options. And that's something that I heard from multiple people in the last couple weeks is that if you look around at the teams that we feel like are definitely going to be sellers, there are not a ton of appealing options out there to pursue in a trade, especially if you're looking at the center position, which we know the Rangers are. That is how a guy like Sean Monahan ends up getting a first-round pick and then some. And that is why, from what I'm hearing, the Ducks are asking for a first-round pick for Henrique right now. So that scares you a little bit. That is good for the teams that are selling, and it's causing hesitation and reluctance on the side of teams like the Rangers. The Rangers, I've told you, I know we're very interested in Elias Lindholm, but they probably, I think, could have gotten themselves to a point where they were okay with giving up a first-round pick and maybe a little bit more. But when you look at the depth of the package that Vancouver had to send to Calgary to get that deal done. The Rangers, I know that that was too rich for their blood. I'm sure it was too rich for a lot of teams' blood. And so I I use this analogy in the story that I wrote. What you have is teams that are selling a cheeseburger and fries and asking for filet mignon prices. And that is going to have some ripple effects on the market. I think a lot of teams are feeling like they're not liking what's out there a ton, and they are certainly not liking the price tags. Guys that maybe in the past you feel like you could have gotten for a second or even a third round pick are now being shopped for first round picks. And so that has created this kind of log jam in the market. We saw a couple of deals go down But now with this next wave of players, Henrique being near the top of the list that we expect to get traded. And again, there's not a whole lot of them. You could see in this story that I wrote, there's a few teams out there that I think if they do decide to become sellers, I wrote about the Seattle Kraken. I wrote about the Nashville Predators. Those teams, I think, would have some intriguing choices there. But those are teams that are very much in the Western Conference playoff race right now. So there's no guarantee that those teams are going to sell. They might actually end up being buyers if they get hot this month and decide that they want to go for it. So you have only a select few teams that are definitely willing to be 
trade partners right now, meaning selling off players, especially players that are on expiring contracts. And because other teams are looking around, there's a lot of teams that are interested in acquiring players and not a whole lot of players who are really desired right now. Then you have this, again, this perfect storm of teams feeling empowered to ask for really significant, really hefty packages in return for players that on a lot of these playoff teams, like we talk about Henrique, this is a guy who would probably be on the Rangers' third line. So are you willing to give up a first-round pick for a third-line player? I don't think the Rangers want to do that. Now, the compromise might end up being a conditional pick, similar to what we saw them do with Andrew Kopp last year, where they make it a second-round pick, but if they get to X round in the playoffs, the Eastern Conference Final, the Stanley Cup Final, then it elevates to a first-round pick. I feel like that's probably the minimum of where you're going to have to go to be able to land Henrique. And then the Vetrano thing is a whole other ball of wax because I think the Ducks would be asking for even more from him. Now, from a salary perspective, when we talk about Kako, that would actually make it work because if you get the Ducks to retain 50% on Henrique and you take Vetrano's salary back, you're looking at about $6.5 million. The Rangers, without sending salary back, can't make that work. They would need to send something back. And obviously, of the potential pieces that they could be sending back that would have significant enough salary to make that deal work, Kaka would probably be the most appealing option for the Ducks, other than maybe Lafreniere. But I don't think the Rangers are entertaining the Lafreniere idea right now. I'm not even sure they're entertaining the Kako idea right now, but I think Kako is probably more likely at this point, given the fact that Lafreniere has had a more productive season. So it's an interesting conversation, and it leads us right into our first question in this week's mailbag, and that comes from Blue Shirts Brian, who wrote, My biggest question, if Dolan won't move a first, and we want to keep Kako, Othman, and Gabe Perot, then what do we have to offer in a trade? Does a team take a second round pick for a right wing upgrade? Well, Brian, a couple points here. Number one, I wrote about some instances where I think you could probably go with a lesser established guy, an under the radar name, a guy who is not necessarily going to be a surefire upgrade in your top nine, but you could see a way that that player might fit, or you can see a skill set in that particular player that might work well in this lineup, where you could probably get away with giving up a middle round pick. Look at Vetrano as an example. The Rangers uncovered him a couple years ago, and all they had to give up was a fourth round pick. This is a player who had fallen out of favor in Florida, wasn't even getting consistent run in their every night lineup, but the Rangers saw the speed, they saw the shot, they saw the tenacity, and they decided that it was a guy worth taking a chance on. That, in many ways, would be an ideal situation for them if they could avoid giving up their prime assets and uncover a hidden gem like that. And I do absolutely believe that they're looking into that. And within that story that I wrote, with some of those teams that I mentioned to keep an eye on, whether it's Seattle, Nashville, San Jose, Ottawa, Anaheim, those are the five teams that I wrote about. I think that there are some bigger names that could be in play there, but there are also some names that maybe we're not talking about as much, but could make some sense and could come significantly cheaper. So that is one avenue that I think the Rangers are pursuing. But if they're going to go big, and by big, 
you know, we're not talking about star players, but we're talking about the the more prominent names that are available right now, like Henrique, like Vetrano, like Vladimir Tarasenko, for example, then the Rangers are going to have to give up something of significance clearly because the market is going to dictate that. Kako is one thing. Again, that's going to have to be a multi-year controllable asset, certainly not for a rental. And even then, I think it's somewhat of a long shot now. Offman and Perot are the Rangers' two top prospects. I think they are strongly inclined to hold on to both of them. I do think it would be easier for them to stomach giving up this year's first rounder versus one of those top two prospects because this year's first rounder is likely going to be very late in the draft. And this is considered somewhat of a top heavy draft. I've heard from multiple people now, and Patrick just touched on this as well, that a lot of people believe once you get into the 20s this year, there are not going to be many really surefire or big time talents there. Obviously, you would like to have that pick. You'd like to have a first round pick. But I do think that where the Rangers believe that Perot and Offman are at right now is more valuable. And those guys are obviously closer to contributing than this late first round pick that they're going to have. So I think the first round pick is more on the table than any of the stuff you mentioned. And as for this thing about Dolan not wanting to move the first round pick, I, I certainly want to touch on that on this week's episode. I will tell you that I heard a whisper from someone that there is some truth to that, that there is some at least rumblings that the owner would prefer to have a first round pick knowing that the draft is going to be held in the sphere in Las Vegas this year, which is owned by James Dolan and Madison Square Garden. Now, I'm not comfortable reporting that with any certainty. To be honest, I think that this feels to me like one of those rumors that's kind of taken on a life of its own. To me, if that were to be true, it would be the height of silliness. It would be about as asinine as you could <laughs> as you could put it, because there's no way that the Rangers or any team for that matter should be having their roster decisions. The the best way to move forward with their team dictated by something like wanting to have a, a pick because you are the host of that year's draft. I, I don't even understand the logic behind how that would necessarily help the team from a financial or marketing standpoint. It, it seems to me extremely far-fetched at face value. I've heard from people who certainly don't believe it, and my inkling is to be very skeptical about that. Even though we've seen this owner makes some very rash decisions, some very questionable decisions in the past. It still feels to me like the type of thing that, A, I could not see Chris Drury going for, and B, even at the height of stupidity, I don't really follow the logic as to why that would be a super important thing that the owner would mandate would dictate a decision like that. I, I just really am not fully buying it. And I can tell you this, from talking to people in the hockey world, from talking to people who look at this from a practical front office type of perspective, what I have been hearing is that the reason the Rangers are reluctant to part with their first round pick is not because of any event going on in the sphere, but is much more because from a running a hockey team perspective, 
they don't want to be in the business of surrendering first round picks for players that they don't believe are worth it. That is really what the crux of this is. That is really where I believe the hesitation is coming from. Definitely on the hockey op side. That if you look around at this market and you're talking about guys that are likely to play on your third line, I don't think there is a strong appetite to be in the business of sacrificing first round picks for that. So to me, that is the bigger point to make here. That is the bigger concern, I think, for the Rangers. I believe that if they were in a position where they felt like the player was worth it and the player was going to make a big impact on their roster, that they would absolutely be willing to trade that first round pick. I have repeatedly said that. But I also think that when you look at the state of the market right now, it's reasonable to conclude that the pieces that are available out there, at least the ones that we've heard about or know about, there are not exactly that many that you would think would rise to the level of garnering a first round pick. So that I believe is really what might cause the Rangers to hold on to that first round pick. It's not that they are completely unwilling to give it up because it's so important to them to have one in this particular draft. We've seen them throw their draft picks around in previous trades without hesitation, because as we've talked about this franchise including the owner, is very much in win-now mode. And you try to tell me that they would rather have their first-round pick than do what they think is necessary to win a Stanley Cup and the 30-year drought. That is by far the biggest priority, I believe, undoubtedly, from the top down. So I do not think that anybody is going to stand in the way of a move that they feel would help them accomplish that goal. And that is why... This all to me feels just like one of those things that, you know, maybe there was some conversation that was had about, well, it would be nice to have a first round pick because it's going to happen in our building and, and that would be a fun way to cap it off or whatever. But to think that there was some big meeting where a foot was put down and absolutely you cannot deal this pick under any circumstances. I believe they offered that pick for Lindholm, quite honestly. So I do not think that that is the case here. Uh, there could be some desire to keep the pick, but it's not going to prohibit them from making a move that they think is a worthwhile move. Again, the biggest component here is that the market is tough right now. And whether it's Henrique or whether it's some of the other names that are out there right now, teams are asking for first round picks. That seems to be the going rate for pretty much anybody that's available right now. And I think that that is not a place the Rangers, at least at this point, are willing to go. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from Tim Franzone, who wrote, overall thoughts on Zach Jones. Fair to say he could slash should be traded at this point. He's played well, and it's been a couple years of him toiling as the seventh defenseman. He has the skill set, but the organization never seems to push for trying to fit him into the starting six for whatever reasons it may be. So Jones is definitely another guy I want to touch on this week because as we talk about assets that the Rangers might be willing to entertain the idea of trading, and I do believe that for the right deal, pretty much any of their draft picks, as we just discussed, would be on the table. We've also talked about the prospects. And 
Perot and Othman, I think, are places they really do not want to go, except for maybe extreme circumstances. So then we look at the next tier, because I think those two are sort of in a tier of their own right now. And then you get to the rest. We're no longer considering, obviously, Will Cooley or Braden Schneider or a couple of the other young guys on the roster as prospects anymore. So if we're talking about guys that have not cracked the NHL roster yet, who's next in line? And Zach Jones is a guy who, while he's on the roster, certainly, as Tim touched on, has not consistently gotten run in the Rangers lineup. And he is a name that I was hearing over the summer and I'm hearing a little bit again now. I think in the right deal, the Rangers would absolutely consider that because it just does not seem that he is in their immediate or even future plans. Now, the future thing could change because we touched on this last week. The Rangers have some guys that are going to be free agents this summer. Lindgren and Schneider are both restricted free agents, so that is not necessarily a dire situation. Obviously, you would expect those guys to be retained. They're still under team control. If anything, they would be traded, but they're certainly not going to walk for nothing. The one guy who could potentially walk for nothing is Eric Gustafson, and it's possible that maybe the Rangers view Jones as a guy who could replace Gustafson next year. It's also possible they try to bring Gustafson back, especially considering the fact that I think his price tag is going to be very modest. They have him for $825,000 this season. They could probably do something similar for next season. And I also think that given the makeup of the Rangers decor, there's an understanding that Jones would probably not be put in the best position to succeed, even if he were in the lineup every night. Because as a scout said to me a while back, this is a guy, much like the conversation we had with Nils Lundqvist, who has not exactly been a riveting success in Dallas, but we had a similar conversation surrounding him before the Rangers traded him last year. And that is that Jones, to be utilized properly, to be utilized to the best of his ability is a guy that you're going to want to put in an offensive type of role. You're going to want to have him on your power play. And obviously with Adam Fox here, he's blocked from ever getting really significant power play time. And in a bottom pair role, which is really the only spot the Rangers have tried him in, that's typically where the Rangers and many other teams tend to want more defensive-minded guys, tend to want maybe bigger guys who play more physical. And none of that really fits Jones's skill set. So is it possible that they could keep him around and bring him into camp next year and give him more of a legitimate chance at cracking the lineup if Gustafson walks in free agency? Yes, I don't think we can rule that out. But if we're reading the tea leaves coming into this season and even in years past, it's become increasingly obvious that this is not a guy that they were fully comfortable handing over the reins into that particular role. And so at some point, rather than letting him sit there as your seventh defenseman for multiple years, during which time his value is going to diminish in the eyes of other teams, at some point, you might want to see what you can get for him if he is not in your future plans. And so I absolutely believe that in the right deal, Jones could be a guy that's on the table. And I had someone say to me, a scout not too long ago, that he thinks on 40 to 50% of the teams in the league, Jones probably would be in their lineup. Jones probably would get significant power play time. That might not happen on a contending team, 
But if we're talking about the kinds of teams that are looking to sell right now, rebuilding teams, bottom feeding teams, teams that are looking to accumulate young talent but aren't really racking up a lot of wins right now, it's conceivable that some of them might look at Jones as a guy that they could plug directly into their lineup, directly onto their power play, and feel like there's some upside there. So I do believe that there is somewhat of a market for Jones. How much do teams value him? Could he take the place of a first-round pick? No, I don't think he's quite at that level. But I think if you're talking about a comparable asset, Jones might be viewed by some teams as just as good as a second-round pick, if not better. So I do believe that there is still some value there. Again, the longer you wait, the more you risk losing some of that value. But I do believe that, at least in the eyes of some teams, there is some value there. And if you're not going to touch Perot and Othman, I think in that next tier, Jones is probably one of the top assets that you have. I mean, you could look at maybe some of those bottom six hustle energy kind of forwards that the Rangers have, like Adam Sakura and Brett Berard. Those guys, I think, would fall into that tier as well. You could look at Matthew Robertson. Another left-handed defenseman like Jones, definitely a different kind of skill set, much bigger guy, but also being blocked right now also looks unlikely to ever really get a consistent, regular opportunity in this lineup. Those are all guys that could be in the cards. I think Sakura is a guy the Rangers would definitely like to keep. I think he's a guy they see cracking their bottom six at some point in the next year or two. Berard also, but maybe to a slightly lesser degree, but I think those defensemen who there's not a clear path for them to ultimately end up in this lineup, that it makes a lot of sense to talk about them in trade deals. It makes sense for you because if you hold on to them for too long and don't end up trading them for anything and don't end up using them in their lineup, then you've kind of let that asset wither away. And it also makes sense for the player. Jones is a good, hardworking kid, a kid who I think has some talent. I don't know if he has all the makings of a long-time 10, 15-year type of NHL defenseman. I don't know if that's what the future holds for him. But I do think that he deserves to get an opportunity to at least play regularly somewhere. And it would also make some sense for him. I'm sure he would not be opposed to it. I think he's said all the right things. I absolutely think he's happy to be a Ranger. But anybody, and Peter Laviolette has said this as well, anybody wants to play. Anybody wants to get that chance to show that they can get the job done. And so it, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing for him to, to get an opportunity somewhere else either. So Jones is the name that I definitely think we should monitor and I definitely think could end up being somewhat of a valuable asset in the right deal with a team that wants the player, obviously. But I, I do think that when we talk about what the Rangers could deal and, you know, you don't want to do Kako, you don't want to do Othman, you don't want to do Perot. Those are obviously, let's say, grade A assets. You're talking about a grade B asset, but still an asset who could probably bring you something of value in return. I think Jones definitely falls into that category. All right, let's get to our final question, which comes from Jamie, who wrote, what do you think the main trade deadline target should be? I feel like Brodzinski has proven to be a solid third line center option. So they should shift their main focus to a top line right wing that can help that line get going. Listen, to me, and this is what I've heard as well, this is my opinion, I think is also shared by others. Center is still a top priority for this team. 
even if you like what Brodzinski brings, and, and you could make a case that he deserves to be on this roster one way or another, but as a 13th forward, I think that's really an ideal kind of guy to look at for that role because he can provide an impact when he gets into the game. He brings some of that speed element that we've talked about the Rangers needing more of. He obviously brings a shoot-first mentality. He's scored in two of the last three games, so some of those shots are finally starting to go for him. I was joking with him in the locker room the other day about you know how he seems to be shooting a lot but wasn't really getting a lot of luck on them. But he's a guy who you could throw into your lineup in a pinch, can play multiple positions, you look at his underlying numbers and and there is a case to be made that he's been solid enough for them. His expected goal rate is up over 52%. That ranks up there with the top forwards in the team. He's right behind Panarin, Trocek, and Lafreniere. He is actually the next highest rated forward when you're talking about expected goal share. So that certainly seems to shine a pretty positive light on him. You could look at that line, and I've seen some questions about it this week, with him, Cooley, and Kako. That line has not produced a ton of goals, but they've largely been positive if you look at the analytics. And I think you look at a lot of their individual shifts, and I think those shifts have largely been positive as well. Their expected goal rate is up over 52%. They've only scored two goals in over 37 minutes together on the ice, but they've only allowed one, so they've been defensively pretty sound. I definitely think they brought some of that energy that Jamie touched on there. So, Brodzinski is a guy who I think definitely has some value, but ultimately we're not just talking about a guy who can get the job done in a pinch. I do think that the Rangers are looking for upgrades at that position. And if Brodzinski gets super hot or for some reason convinces you that he can't come out of the lineup, as we've talked about before, it's much easier to shift a center to the wing than vice versa. So I still think that center is absolutely the top priority, but make no mistake, the Rangers are trying to do both. The Rangers want a center and they want a right winger. They want scoring punch and they want a two-way player who's going to make them tougher defensively and play more of that playoff style of hockey. I've told you this before. They want to accomplish both things. So I don't think this is an either-or situation by any stretch. I think this is a both situation. And I do think that that likely pushes Brodzinski out of the lineup. But I also think that there's a case for him to remain on this roster and be one of the first guys in there. Actually, I could tell you, I'm working on a story about Brodzinski right now. Had a really interesting conversation with him. I mean, I've said this before. I'll say it again. One of the genuinely nicest guys that I have met as far as players in my time covering the team, just the kind of guy you want to pull for who does all the right things, who takes care of his family and busts his butt and has been chasing this dream now at 30 years old. This is the longest stint he's ever had in the NHL. And just talking to him about why he's continued to pursue that dream. I won't give too much of it away because it's coming in a story that'll be up on the website on Friday, but this is a guy who does it for all the right reasons, has kept his head up, has done it with a smile on his face, has been through some really difficult ups and downs, has definitely had plenty of doubts about whether he ever really would stick in the NHL, but just kept plugging away and just kept doing it for all the right reasons. So absolutely a guy you want to pull for. Absolutely a guy that I think is well-respected and well-liked by his teammates, I think from a leadership perspective, he does a lot of things behind the scene that maybe fans don't hear about all the time, but are definitely valued, especially when it comes to some of the younger guys that he's worked with while he was at Hartford, where he was the captain as well. So a lot of reasons to pull for this guy, a lot of reasons to make a case that this guy deserves a roster spot. But this is ultimately about 
adding depth to this lineup because no matter how you feel about that line right now or the forward group right now, we know that they have had flaws. We know that there have been questions about scoring up and down that forward group. We know there have been defensive lapses at times that have been costly. We know that there have been issues at times. And we also know that they're another injury away from having to reach into the pipeline where the next guy up, the the 13th forward right now is Jake LeCision. And we know that that's not a guy who you feel like you're going to want in your lineup on a regular basis. He's had ample opportunities in the past and certainly hasn't done all that much with them. So they need to add depth. I think they need two forwards, and I think that that is what they are aiming to do. So we can pull for Brodzinski. We can justify him being in the lineup right now. We can make the point that he has been an effective player in a lot of respects. I mean, the point total isn't huge right now, but again, the underlying numbers look pretty solid for him, and he certainly brings some elements that I think are positive for the Rangers. But whether it's a guy like him, whether it's a guy like Tyler Pitlick, whether it's trying to figure out that right wing in the top spot, which hasn't completely worked out with either Blake Wheeler or Capo Caco. All of those guys could end up being pushed out of the lineup in a certain situation, depending on who the Rangers acquire. But adding that depth, giving yourself as many options as possible, is the right thing to do for a team that is clearly marching toward the playoffs and clearly is looking to better itself right now. So, I saw a few questions in here that were kind of making that either or argument. Which one would you prefer? I guess my answer is center, but I I do believe that ultimately they're trying to do both. And I think that that's probably what we're going to see in the coming weeks, unless the market just gets to such a crazy place with the asking prices that already are kind of through the roof that they decide that it's it's not worth it. But they're going to do something, I'm, I'm quite sure of it one way or the other. And I think they're actively trying to add to both of those positions. All right. With that, we are going to end this week's episode. We've been going at it for quite a bit now. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll have a few more weeks of trade deadline talk. I'm definitely glad that we were able to dive in with some specifics on one of the teams that I think people are most curious about by having Patrick present on to talk about the Anaheim Ducks. Next week, we're going to Talk more trade deadline stuff, but we're also going to look ahead to the stadium series because that outdoor game at MetLife Stadium is coming up. So I think we're going to have some kind of preview for that next week. So stay tuned for more on that. But for now, I'm going to call it a day. It's been a long one already. I'm going to get to having some dinner and a little family time tonight. And then, of course, Rangers have another game Friday against the Chicago Blackhawks. So stay tuned. A lot more coverage to come your way. But in the meantime, Everybody have a great rest of your week. Have a great weekend, and I will talk to you next week.